Hey folks, welcome to Stephen Runs Vegan. Really appreciate that you're here. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you're doing well. Today on the show, I have my friend Matt to thank again. That's a few seconds in and I've already mentioned Matt Fraser. But I was lucky enough to be on his podcast on the No Meat Athlete Radio podcast several years ago, right after I ran my first 50k. This was back in 2019, February 2019, I ran my 50k, and I think this episode is from March or April perhaps, not long afterwards, and you can very much hear it in my voice that I have the freshness and the enthusiasm of just discovering this whole new world of trail running and ultra running. So don't worry if it's if an ultramarathon 50k, all those distances are purely incomprehensible to you, that's fine, they were to me at one stage too, and this is the talk that hopefully breaks down a few of those walls. And that was a big thing. We wanted to show how you could go from just a standard casual runner into running these crazy ultra distances. So it's meant to be quite open and understandable and approachable for non-runners or those who are just curious about it all. But yeah, it's a, it's always a pleasure to talk to Matt. And this was the first time I got to talk to his co-host, Doug Hay. And I'd, listened to, I'd heard Doug on the podcast countless times, and he sounded like a really cool guy, so it was a good chance to actually talk to him for the first time. Yeah, I really enjoyed the chat. This was several years ago, before I ever had my own podcast or my own microphone. I borrowed a friend's microphone on the day, and it worked, but the audio quality on my end isn't great. So if you can tolerate my breathing between answers, um, then you're doing well. Apologies for that, but otherwise I think it's a really good episode, and I hope you enjoy listening. This is Radio No Meat Athlete Radio podcast episode number 265. You can Google No Meat Athlete Radio if you're curious to check out what Matt and Doug are up to. Similar to my kind of message, I suppose, a lot about veganism and running and healthy living, but they follow it up a lot better than I do. <laughs> so thank you very much for tuning in today, and I hope you enjoyed this interview. Take care. Bye-bye. So anyway, let's uh, let's just get right to that and hope everyone enjoys it. All right, Matt and Doug here with Stephen, who just did his first Stephen Dunn, I should say, my friend Stephen Dunn, who just did his first ultra marathon. Um, Stephen, how's it going? Thanks for being on our podcast, by the way. Hi guys, no, it's an absolute pleasure. I've been a big fan of the podcast for years, so it's great to talk to both of you. Yeah, I know you have. You you're like our. I mean, I don't. I think I assume we have more fans than just you, but uh, <laughs> you are the guy who I think when I when I'm down on myself, I'm thinking, well, at least Stephen listens. So oh. <laughs> that's nice to hear. Yeah. So and this this actually is probably the first time we've had a you know just a straight up fan on, right? I think so. He, but he's not a straight up fan anymore. Now he's a fan who's who has given us reason to have him on. That's true. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't. That seems weird. I figured we had done this sort of thing before. But There's certainly been um, people who started as fans, I think, like you yourself, Doug, and who yeah, that's right. That's became very... part of the team. But yeah, there you go. See, Stephen knows. Stephen's probably heard all the episodes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he knows. He knows it better than we do. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, as if you can't tell, Stephen is an Irishman currently living in uh, in the Netherlands, right, Stephen? That's it. Yeah, just outside Amsterdam. Outside Amsterdam. Yeah, and so we actually met for the first time in person. You had been on plenty of uh, you know the different chats and live Q&As and things that we've done. So we had met you mm-hmm. um, via you you writing your questions in via text. But you and I first met, I guess it was 2017, when I spoke in Brussels at, at like a vegan festival they had in Brussels. 
um, which is in Belgium, and you took the bus over from near Amsterdam, and, and how long was that? Like a couple hours? Yeah, it's not too bad. I think it was about a four-hour journey, maybe, but oh, yeah. I, I know, I remember you said something about, or I just realized that you don't do many public speaking gigs these days with family and travel and all, mm-hmm. so... When I figured you were coming to Brussels, I realized, well, that's that's as close as can be, really. That's the next <laughs> city over from Amsterdam, so <laughs> right. I thought I'd take my chance. Yeah, so we met then, hung out, had lunch, um, and then last year when we, my family was vacationing in Barcelona, you happened to be there at the same time, so we uh, got together, drank some beers, watched some some football, as you would call it on TV, <laughs> yep. and uh, and went for a run too. So yeah, all it was good, a good experience. Yeah, which reminded me, I was telling Doug about this, and it reminded me that you actually, uh, I think we got you into craft beer, right? <laughs> I figured this would come up in the conversation, <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't drink for many years, which is kind of a pushing against the Irish stereotype for sure, but growing up in Ireland, there's a kind of an unhealthy relationship with alcohol, especially among teenagers, and I just didn't like that at all. And among other things, you guys just chatting about craft breweries and different things like that made me see you can have a nice, healthy attitude to it. And I thought, well, a beer every now and again won't hurt. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> there we are, yeah. So so it wasn't just that we got you into craft beer, we actually got you into drinking alcohol. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's a, I'd, I'd like to think it's a healthy relationship. I remember okay. a few years ago I had a friend staying with me, or someone, a couch surfing guest who's since become a friend, and this is the first time she'd met me, and there was one line I think she said, so you're vegan and you don't drink alcohol. And she had this <laughs> perplexed look on her face like I was just some sort of Buddhist monk who lived a pure <laughs> life. And when I heard it so bluntly, I realized, well, I can, I have reasons for going vegan and I can explain all of them and defend them. Didn't really have a reason for the drinking thing, so I thought, <laughs> why not? Yeah, for some reason, I'm I'm proud of that. I don't know why. Like, <laughs> I, maybe it's maybe it's for the same thing. I don't want to be seen as like too, uh, too you know, teetotaling and saying mm. like we have to eat healthy and we can't do anything. So I don't know. I like that we have had a good positive influence on you with running and things. Uh, but I also kind of like that we that we did that. <laughs> I don't know. Angel anyway, of the devil on the shoulders. Speaking so. of beer, you know what? This is this is a totally random fact. Um, we couldn't. I couldn't find when we went to an Irish pub, Stephen, in mm. in. Barcelona, yeah, to watch Liverpool play. Uh, there weren't many good beers there, like that I could find. When we went to the American craft beer place, there was good stuff. But mm-hmm. um, I have since on my last day in Barcelona, I drank a beer called Estrella Dam. You know that one? Oh yes, the Spanish one. Yeah, it's like there. It's like Barcelona or Spain's oldest trademark. Well, not that old, like eighteen seventy nine or something. I, I don't I understand. didn't know that. Okay. Yes, learned that fact about it. But anyway, I really liked it, and I don't. I don't typically love those lager beers, but yeah, just. I just had it. It was a good, simple beer, and I really liked it. So I have since uh, special ordered at the beer store here a case of it. Oh, and, really? Uh, and now I have it, and I relive my, my Barcelona vacation <laughs> through Estrella Dom, nice. which is vegan, by the way. Yeah, yes. I, do, I do remember that, that night in the Irish pub. Like, Irish bars abroad tend to be really like Disneyland for what people think <laughs> Ireland actually is. Right. And right. as a result, the quality of the beer or the drinks don't tend to be really high. And plus, I think Liverpool lost that day as well when we were That's there. Right. So yep, had a good time with you guys, but um, yeah, could have been improved for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but that was uh, that was Champions League group stage, and they're now they're they're in the final what eight teams, right? Uh, yeah, that's it. In the quarterfinals, so is that? Uh, yeah, that's it. And we're yeah. looking good, competing so. for the league and uh, doing well in Europe. 
But anyway, I'm sure the listeners want to talk about more than beer and football. Oh, we're not going to just do that? I, thought we, I, have, I actually have a beer. I, was, I figured we were doing like a soccer oh. beer episode. <laughs> I, I wouldn't I, complain. That's fine by me. No, I actually don't. But all right, you're right. Let's talk about, the, let's talk about running. So you just did your first 50K. That's right. Congrats. But, Thank yes. you. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Um, but let's go back and talk about what – I mean, what – I know – well, I know you've been a long-time listener of Dummy Athlete Radio, but I'm, I don't remember if you started kind of getting into running. I think you said your dad was a runner, and, mm-hmm. and I just want to hear how you like how that is. How long have you been like seriously running? When did you first do half marathon and marathon? Just, just for people who are kind of at that same point where they've done some of those things and they're wanting to get into ultra running, because that's really who this episode is for. Sure. Um, so just give us a little, little bit of that, that background before we talk about the ultra. Yeah, well, I started running properly, like as a regular hobby, uh, I suppose about 2015, in the, about the early summer in 2015. I had I, w- I went vegetarian back in college when I was um, 19, and I tried to go vegan a few times, and it didn't really stick, and I knew I wanted to get into the more health a- aspect of it. And for some reason, just around April, May 2015, you know, the fire was lit and the motivation was really there, and... I had an old pair of running shoes, and I'd just gone vegan. I got loads of energy, and I felt really great. So I started going out and uh, running around the block a few times. And I think even just a few days later, I was so motivated and so... I don't know if other people can relate to this, but it really came all at once for me. I googled uh, a marathon, you know, in near, you know, near enough to where I lived at the time in Germany, and found the uh, Cologne Marathon in April, or sorry, in October, so I knew I'd have a summer and a plenty of time to train, and did a bit of Googling, I found No Meat Athletes uh, through that Googling, and uh, yeah, the rest is history. <laughs> so you ran that marathon in, you said 2015, is that right? Yeah, October 2015, the 4th of October. Okay. And then how many did you do after that? I've done, Before, um, how many have I done since? Yeah, like before, yeah. leading up to the ultra. Right, yeah. I've done six marathons now and seven half marathons, I believe. And wow. um, so, yeah, usually about two a year it's averaged out as, which has been enjoyable. N- none of them have been like particularly fast. They're um, part of the reason I started going into the ultra direction. But uh, yeah, like I said, like you said, my, my dad's a runner as well, and I'm blessed with that. He's probably an even better runner than I am. Um, and normally we've run these marathons together, so it's kind of nice to have someone to bounce off with training and race chat and all of that. So that definitely helped for sure. So what, so how did you that transition into ultras? Like, what was the, what was the motivation behind that? Um, well, I, I've been running pretty constantly. I've I'd like to think with the, with no, the help of No Meat Athletes, I've been pretty successful with avoiding injury as well as running a lot. So um, I think I'm a little bit lucky in that way with taking care of myself. But I've been running almost constantly since about 2015, so four years. And I, st- I still love it. It's It's been my hobby, you know, ever since I started. But I was just, I don't know, the, the, the fires were not really burning the way they used to. Like I, I wasn't getting psyched up for a marathon and for the mm-hmm. training for a marathon as I did a few years back. Um, and I have to credit you as well, especially, Doug, both of you, but um, knowing someone who talked about ultras and uh, gave me a glimpse into that world really, uh, really, it sounded like something I I could get into. Both the, <laughs> um, the tra- like most of my marathon training, if I had to do a long run, I would I'd typically go out to the trails nearby where I live now and 
yeah, uh, just you know, dodging traffic and doing the the road running wasn't really doing it for me anymore. And like I said, I'm I'm not that fast a runner. You know, I'm I'm not going to beat anybody in a 5k, um, but I can do the distance. So I figured the next natural progression would be to see how far I can run instead. Yeah, yeah. that's that's one of the nice things about ultras is that we don't talk about it that much. But that like to be a good 5k runner, it seems like that requires a certain physical giftedness I, I mean to be like competitive mm, um yeah. and, and the same is true for marathon running and ultra running and, and more and more so even with ultra running now that now that a lot of people are getting into it but it it used to be and still is to an extent that even if you weren't physically gifted like me i was never a gifted runner um you can cut just through the training you can actually get to be pretty competitive in those things uh, which I think is a really neat thing. I just I always liked that, like the idea. Like I mean, Doug, you won a hundred mile or a twenty four hour race, right? Yeah. But yeah, but you're amazing. probably not going to win a five k unless unless nobody shows up and you and you know <laughs> the local couple other guys, right? I mean, no no sure. insult to Doug there. Just that it's interesting that you can through training get yourself to be competitive in a in a sport or a distance, uh, mm-hmm. particularly one one like ultra running. So I I like that. I think that's kind of interesting about it that like this impossible idea of winning a race, you can actually do it by, by working really hard at that sort of thing. Definitely. Yeah. And, and, I, and I th- oh, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, I think uh, reading Born to Run, I'm sure many of your listeners have, would mm-hmm. uh, go towards a lot of that. Or Christopher McDougall would make that point where we are evolved. We are naturally distance runners. You know, the special, the elite ones can, what, short twitch muscle fibers? Is that what they call called? Some people are just naturally faster. But I think most of us, with a bit of training, can certainly reach those distances and mm-hmm. excel at them. Yep. Yeah. And there's also, you know, aside from the whole, you know, being competitive part, there's, uh, when, you're, when you're thinking about yourself, you know, if you've run a bunch of 5Ks, then, and you're not getting much faster, right? If you're not winning the race, if you're not, like, really improving on your PR and that kind of stuff, then mm-hmm. it doesn't, it, the excitement kind of begins to fade, right? And same with half marathon and even marathon, but, you know, it, if you're not going to get a lot faster, you could always go up in distance, and then it feels like this kind of new and exciting and challenging thing. Oh, absolutely. At least that, that's no, the that's, way it is for me. That's yeah. where I am right now. I'm riding that wave. Yeah. So people always ask about the difference between training for a 50K versus training for a marathon. Mm-hmm. Uh, that That's one of the most common questions that we get when we do Q&A things. Um you know, how did you approach that, and and how specifically did it actually look? So when I say approach, like, when people ask that, for me, it's always like, well, you're going to be on your feet a whole lot longer for a 50K. It may not seem like it, but if that's on a trail versus your road marathon, uh, then, you know, you're probably adding 20% just for the extra distance. Then yep. you got 20% addition of time for trails versus roads. And then the very fact that you're going to be going at a slower pace because you're out there longer means another amount of time that you're adding so you end up running for you know could be approaching twice as long as it took you to run your marathon depending Mm -hmm. on the course for your 50k so it's a different type of training and i think people don't quite realize that uh and obviously there's the the fact that you got to be training on trails but you know you personally did you i think did you say you worked with a coach for it i did yeah um i was going over to do this race which was in cyprus there was a group of us from amsterdam all going over together and one of the girls in the group who is probably the elite of our bunch or at least she's certainly the head and shoulders above the rest of us in terms of her ability as a runner um we were having a coffee one day and she just dropped some line oh my coach told me i have to do this and it was a new experience for to know somebody who had a coach i I thought that was just for you know meb kofleski or uh, mo farah those guys i didn't know 
I didn't had never come across anybody who was being coached. So uh, she explained, yeah, you, you, there's online coaches and they give you a training plan and they tailor it for your needs, all that. So I will give a shout out to uh, Kyle Kranz, Coach Kyle Kranz, who's um, I found him on Facebook through a vegan running group. He's a plant-based running coach and uh, definitely helped me a lot with training. Doug, we'll cut that part out later, okay? Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry about that. Doug, Doug, Doug no. Hay over there. No, no, no. Doug no, no, no. Doug Hay's name. <laughs> Doug Hay. No. Uh, no so, yeah, so like I what is... Plant-based coaches are good, right? No, no need to uh, for Doug to yeah. monopolize the market. We're, no. we're fans of all plant-based running coaches. Sure. Uh, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> so how did, how did running with a coach end up actually changing or, or shaping your training? Um, it, working with <laughs> It was a big difference and yet a small one at the same time, which might sound ridiculous, but um, whether it was just a, you know, it was a time in my life and everything clicked together or whether it was the coach's uh, training as well, I just fell in love with running again. I really, I would wake up in the morning, I, got, I would get a daily workout email every morning to say what I had to do that day. And it was they, more in advance than that, but I only checked it on a day-to-day basis because that's how organized I am. Um, <laughs> but I would wake up and jump out of bed in the morning and like be excited for whatever workout was on the day. And that hadn't happened since the early days of running in 2015. Um, so that was fantastic. And then on a more practical level, uh, it was just nice to have someone else do my training plan because I'm a flight attendant and I, with that job, it's a... Uh, my schedules can be very, um, you know, up and down. There's no real set pattern, so uh, having someone work around that was certainly very helpful. And uh, yeah, I, I, he eased off with the training when I had a few aches and pains, and uh, ramped it up when I was feeling fresh. And it was just so comforting to know I had someone on, in my corner who, who lives running, who knows exactly what the, what the, what they have to do and what I need to do, and it just let yep. me get on with my training. So I'd highly recommend it if anybody is thinking about getting a coach the part about adapting the training is super important uh because so many people make mistakes that they that they will get a plan and then just you know assume that that plan is is written it needs to be followed as written no matter what happens Mm. and then if they get hurt and they miss a couple workouts or you know just other circumstances happen people don't know whether they should like try to make those workouts up or you know, whether they shouldn't run again until they can get that next long run in that they that they kind of left off on. There's all kinds of stuff that just goes wrong when people try to interpret plans on their own. So that's, I think, you know, a coach or a really solid plan that kind of gives you all that information as to, like, how to adjust your plan. Uh, I think that's so important. I think people don't quite realize that. So just a little advertising there for coaches and or plans <laughs> or whatever. But, yeah, it's uh, a weight off my shoulders, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. So I I uh I kind of answered my own question asking about the differences between ultra marathon and marathon training, but specifically how did that look from what your coach or f- for what your coach presented to you the plan he created, mm-hmm. um, you know what were the major differences between that and just training for a marathon? Um, well, the first one I suppose is there was just less speed work involved. So I I did some tempo runs, a bit of interval training, some like. Uh, speed burst within my long runs but really a lot less than I had ever done for any half or full marathon it was more focused on uh, just getting out on the trails first of all trying to do as much of my running as possible on rocky terrain routes and getting used to a bit of climbing as much as I can here in the Netherlands but at least you know doing what I could um, and then there were there, there were more long runs naturally that would that would uh, be a logical next step but it, 
there wasn't a huge difference in terms of time time constraints or it didn't dominate my life as in I've trained for marathons with a full-time job and you know social life and all of that other stuff and none of that really changed this time round the long runs were a little bit longer and I had some back-to-backs so for example I'd run 20 kilometers on a Sunday and then on tired legs run another 10 on a Monday morning and really they were the only real time constraints in terms of that there was a few short runs easy pace during the week and a long run on the weekend and that was typically it yeah, yeah. i'm i'm glad you bring that up because that's uh a lot of people have that have that objection as well that they just think cer- certainly ultra marathon but even marathons going to just totally take over their life and i think that's that's exactly what we kind of teach is that like it it your weekend like the one day when you do your long run or two if you're doing ultra training and you're doing two long runs in, in a weekend but like that one day is different there's three or four hours and sometimes more doug mm-hmm. i think did 11 hours this weekend i, I saw that congratulations that, yeah. thanks <laughs> <laughs> with different reactions to doug's 11 hour run <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Uh, but you know like aside from your long run, and, and of course doug's training for 100 so it's not not what you're going to do for a 50k um you know, the during the week stuff is just not that different. And it's like, it's not that different from what you would do if you were just following a doctor's instructions to keep yourself in good shape, right? You're going to do some amount of time in the gym. You're supposed to do some amount of cardiovascular exercise, like 30 minutes, three times a week, or possibly more. But the, like you, it doesn't require that much more than that during the week. It's just that, that long run needs to, you need to build your schedule around that long run. And really, it, with if you can take, if you can have half of a weekend day that you can dedicate to your running, and most days, most weeks, you're not going to need that for it. Um, you you really can can manage these things. I think people don't quite realize that. That's definitely true. And one thing I realize when I'm committed and in, in like in the height of uh, marathon or ultra training, it actually sort of improves my life a little bit. I I'm a guy who, if it's left to my own devices, I'm a bit casual. Oh, I should do this, but I'll put it off to tomorrow. Where I'm when I'm running, first of all, my fitness and as a result, tend to tend usually my mental health is much better, and then it kind of puts everything else into place. Well, I've got a long run on Sunday, so I better uh, do the laundry first thing in the morning, or uh, things like that. So it doesn't even have to take away from your life; uh, it can really add to it. That's what I found. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I've, I've found that if I'm disciplined with my training, that discipline kind of spreads out to so many other things: work and you know every. All, all the other aspects of my life, which is it's just pretty a cool thing, actually. Um, so I want to hear more about y- your your schedule. So, you know, you said you're a flight attendant. Uh, you know, not everybody listening is going to be a flight attendant, but a lot of people do have uh, schedules that are, you know, sporadic and, you know, they may have obligations on certain nights of the week or certain mornings when they have to get kids to school or whatever, and uh, they have trouble finding, like, a consistent time each day to, to go for a run. So sure. what... Yeah, I guess, first of all, what does your schedule as a flight attendant actually look like? And then uh, do you have any lessons for, you know, for how to find time when when it, when it you don't have a consistent schedule? Yeah, um, well, I can only speak to what I do and how, how I work, and hopefully people can take from that what they want. Um, I'm definitely a morning person. My day, my week, my life just functions a bit better when I go to get up early and go to bed early. Now, getting up early on a day off would be about 7 a.m. where on a work day it's about 4 a.m. but that's a that's just part of the job that's what I signed up for um, <laughs> but for example so I get up at 4 a.m. and I'll do a flight I, I work for a short-haul European airline so I don't do layovers in the way my people might think about a flight attendant like 24 hours in New York or Dubai or whatever 
Uh, I tend to start and finish in the same in Amsterdam airport, and I have I come back home, and I have relatively normal life around around that, considering my job. Um, but one thing I definitely do when I come in from work, I'll take off my uniform straight away, and I'll put on my running cl- clothes, like without anything else. There's a t- ten other things to do today, but if I d- if I sit down for five minutes, if I take a shower, whatever, if I stop, I know I'm not going to do the run, or at least won't do it to the extent that I should so I will get that run in straight away before I let the fatigue set in and get that over with and typically enough with that I'll come in come in from a work day and think oh I'm so tired I need to sleep or whatever I do my run 5k 30 minutes 40 minutes and I'm fresh the the rest of the day is just absolutely fine and I'm in the right place so that certainly helped um another thing I'd say is just be flexible with the training plan there there is no especially with the easy runs during the week or uh, a strength workout or something like that. There's nothing that needs to be done on that Thursday afternoon. If if you have to wait till the evening or if you have to squeeze it in on a Friday instead, um, you know, unless you're um, skipping off long runs or some of those really essential workouts, the rest can be moved around to suit your schedule. And uh, yeah, if you can only do 20 minutes on one day, if you should be doing an hour, do 20 minutes. It's still better than nothing. And over time, that that twenty minutes here and there really pays off. I love the part about uh, about getting in your running clothes as soon as you get home. Like like no questions asked. This is what you do because you know what will happen if you don't. And yep. uh, that's I, I just think that that type of discipline is really interesting. I think I think everyone kind of has those little areas in their life, and it just might look different for everybody. But like I think once you kind of find what your little rule is that you don't break. Uh, that can really, really help you with with discipline. That's something that I actually need a, need something like that in my life right now. Absolutely. And before anybody thinks uh, otherwise, I learned that the hard way by not doing that more often than I did. Right. So it's um, you know it, we're we're only human. You just have to forgive yourself and get back on the wagon. Cool. All right. So um, for the for I want to talk about the race itself, but like with ultra running, there becomes an increased need to learn how to eat. Right, mm-hmm. ultra running in some ways is kind of an eating contest. Like who can manage <laughs> to keep eating uh, the longest? What, uh, like, did did you think about that? Is you just naturally start eating more food? Like, did you have to change the foods that you were bringing out on your long runs? Uh, just let us know. I mean, tell us about about how you did things with diet. Yeah, um, the the change in foods, I suppose, was. The only change was the fact that I started to bring food to the long runs. Before, mm-hmm. even even on a 20-mile a or a long run for a marathon, I'd tend to get by on gels and water, maybe some dates or a banana, but I don't have a car, and um, what I can carry with me tended to be quite limited, so I'd have to just work around that. But one thing um, that I was advised during this training was get your body used to eating, like get it used to having food in the system while you're on the go because that's very important on race day. So I, I started to bring along some um, energy bars and some some fruits, and I still kept it quite light. Um, and then further on in my run, if I was doing on the on the longest days, I would bring sweet stuff, you know, gels and dates and that sort of thing for about the first hour or two, and then later on my body would naturally start craving more salty stuff. So I'd make a peanut butter sandwich maybe or bring along some, some chips, some crisps as we call them. And um, Yeah, just trying to find the balance between eating enough to fuel yourself and not 
eating too much that you can't run well because that was a very fine line for me and my body's gotten better at that as training went on but it's still very easy to you know mismanage that either way Doug, that's something that I did, and and people ask me that now. How do you fuel for ultra marathons or really long runs? And my answer, like, because I I don't, especially these days, or I should say, when I was doing ultra running, I was really in a phase then of of trying not to overthink things and not like like with qualifying for Boston, that was where I was much more dialed in with nutrition. Um, with ultra running, it was kind of like whatever's going to keep me going, and if it's working and if I'm succeeding in getting these runs in, then then that's fine. But my advice that I remember from those days is. I would eat sugar until I didn't want any more sugar, and then I would switch to saltier foods or just, you know, maybe starchier sort of things. Yeah. Um, like, you know, the boiled potatoes or the pita with hummus, that kind of thing, after two, three hours when my stomach just does not want any more sports drink or dates or whatever I was using. Mm-hmm. Um, is that is that advice that, that keeps applying as you can, as you just keep doing long distance? I mean, because I've only done four 50-mile runs in the one, or maybe three 50s in the 100 in my life. Um and like it works fine for them, but as you do more and more of these things, is that still the strategy that you go by, or do you like? I kind of wonder if you if you know you're going to be out there that long, do you just sort of skip the sugar part of that and just start right with the eating normal food part? Yeah, I actually neither. Um, <laughs> I find that you know, well, everyone is different, right? And so you have to do what what works for you. And and some people just. No, you know, if after an hour or two, there's just no way you're going to take down any sugar stuff. Um, but what, what I've found to be the most effective way as far as managing my energy levels is to, is to start with both from the very beginning um, and, and throughout the entire thing. So instead of just front loading a lot on the sugary stuff um, and then just trying to hang on with some, some saltier things and some more real food um, towards the end, is to space it out a little bit more so that you're doing a little bit of sugar at the beginning and a little bit of salty at the beginning and continuing that on throughout. So if I'm, you know, if I'm, even if I'm running a hundred miler, I'm still going to be trying to take in some, some of that salty stuff, I'm, I'm sorry, some of that sugary stuff, um, all the way up to the very end. So for example, on, on this past weekend's 11 mile or 11 hour run, um, you know, I was up until the last hour, I was still taking some of the sugary stuff, but, mm. but from the very beginning, I had also been eating some, some of the salty stuff as well. Right. Gotcha. Um, so Steven, what, uh, I, I know you said like the main difference was just, you started bringing foods. Um, like, can you get people specifics? Cause I think people were just so interested in what are the actual specific exact foods that you ended up eating yeah. to get yourself through those longest runs. Um, well, let me think. I did one group run with a few of the other. There was four of us running the ultra, 11 of us traveling in total, and the four of us met up one day for a group run. And we all had a... There was a car, so I could stock up a little bit. And I had three energy gels, I believe, on the day that I had carried with me. It's always easier to take them. They don't take up much space or weight. I had two water bottles. Uh, I I'd bought a new pack, which was one of those exciting new ultra things. There's one dedicated <laughs> trail running store here in the Netherlands, and I went there and I got some new shoes and a pack and all that gear. <laughs> Finally, looked like an ultra runner. So I had that. I had that loaded up. Uh, I believe I had a Cliff Bar, maybe two. I always have one in reserve. Um, two bananas. Uh, no, I haven't done dates in a while actually. So, yes, bananas, Cliff Bars, gels, and. The woman who owned the car, she had a some Coke. She had some uh, potato chips and a few other salty bits like that for later in the run and afterwards at the end. So that that's what did it for me. I 
believe that's it. That's it. Gotcha. And what uh, what was your longest run? I just had a curiosity. Um, Training my longest run was thirty k, which may not have been uh, as long as I expected beforehand. Uh, in my first. Uh, chat with my coach about how training would go in the coming months I expected to be having to run a marathon you know I thought yeah, that right. would be just a natural thing and he said well you can it's it's a way of doing it but he rather preferred the option of a few 25 to 30k which I did three of them with some back-to-backs the next day mm-hmm. and then to race a half marathon which I got in as well so I did in terms of like the hardest the biggest training bits there was one half marathon where I ran that at um, I think the quote was 9 out of 10 intensity mm-hmm. and then yeah the 30k was my longest day gotcha alright so race itself yep. race day how did it all go uh, it was just fantastic like um, yeah I, I've been talking to friends and work colleagues about this most of them just baffled by the concept (laughs) of an ultra marathon as i was when i first heard it but Mm -hmm. um i tend to just start rambling when someone asks me so what time did you finish in and then 20 minutes later i finally tell them oh by the way my time was this (laughs) um but i'd never been to cyprus before uh so that was beautiful the there's mountains there that are just stunning the, the sea is a color blue that I don't haven't seen growing up in Ireland or certainly here in the Netherlands, that real crystal, crystal clear blue water. They, apparently they had a lot of rain through the winter and it just started to get warm again, so that meant the plantation was just blooming, the colors were stunning. So all of that as a backdrop just was a pretty good start. Um, yeah, the people, I, the people I ran with, all of us were running our first ultra, and there was one of my good friends, one guy who's about the same level as me, hardly going to win the thing, but just trying to get across the finish line, do as well as possible. Him and I ran a lot of the race together, and we stayed in a room, we stayed, shared a hotel, um, and we got up that morning, you know, we we both watched so many ginger runner videos or ultra running vlogs, and to be in that world now ourselves like applying body glide putting plasters over in the pools and doing all of that stuff that felt very very exciting and, um the little things you know. yeah exactly it's the uh, things you don't think about in training i'm worried about the climbing you know the the gain the the altitude gain or the the distance this and that my nutrition on the day and then when you wake up in the morning i remember one thing i thought like do I put on deodorant first or body glide first? Like what <laughs> what order do these things go? And there were so many random little moments like that that were really interesting and a lot of fun. It was nice because when I turn up to a, a city marathon now, I don't take it for granted at all, but I know what to expect. It's kind of, they're all a little bit the same, certainly at the start and the finish line, whereas this was something new and this was exciting. <laughs> that is cool. I think, uh, you know, it, it. we laugh about it, but I think some of those things really are important, probably, probably – not most of them uh, have the potential to make or break your race, but it is possible. Like I, I don't know. I feel like with my hundred miler, I at one point did not pack extra socks and actually did not bring my shoes that zip up and totally keep mud and rain out. Mm. And it's like, if I had brought those, it would have been a totally different day. I don't know how many, you know, I think I would have been hours faster. Um, so I, I do think like there are, I don't know, over a run of a long distance, little sort of things like that, forgetting something or just putting something wrong and you end up chafing or getting blisters because of it, uh, yeah. definitely does make a huge difference. So I think it's, I haven't really thought of it that way that like it, I guess, I guess my entrance into it was sort of a different world. And, and it was honestly before there were a whole lot of ultra running 
bloggers and vloggers and all that. So yeah. um, I, I don't think I quite experienced that like you did, but I think that's neat. I think it's, I had never really thought of that, that, uh, you know, you, it get, you get to put your, it's like putting your eye black on for a professional <laughs> baseball game, right? It's like, it's these yeah. little, these little things when you're in the, you're in it. To, to be fair, um, on the other hand, most of the little things didn't really matter at the end. This was just nice. Sure. Things like that were nice little reminders that, oh, this is real, I'm running an ultra. And then <laughs> I remember they said you could have a drop bag, and I didn't really know what a drop bag was at the time. And then to Google that, for those who don't know either, it's at an aid station you're allowed to put a bag of your stuff there, whether it's clothing or food or whatever, to resupply, you know, to have what you need, what you might need on the day. And I remember the night before and that morning, like, putting stuff in and taking it out again, obsessing over my drop bag. And truth be told, when I came to it at about 30K, 35K in the race, I didn't even touch it. I didn't use a single <laughs> thing from it. So yeah. you can lose yourself with all those little thoughts of, oh, it's not perfect. But as long as you've done your training, as long as you're in the right mindset, then the little things shouldn't really matter that much. So I think that's mm -hmm. important to say too. Absolutely. So I'm curious about the about the aid station. So you know, in the US, it's pretty reliable that you're going to have uh, peanut butter and jelly and pretzels and maybe some potatoes and fruit and things like that. Mm -hmm. Like what, uh, what did the aid station look like for you? And as a vegan, like how did you approach that? I think I really got lucky with this one. The, this whole thing started by one of my friends that went over. She has a home in Cyprus and she used to live there and she knows the trail running community. And it was two friends of hers that were organizing the whole race event. Shout out to, mm. uh, Brian and Chris from the Cyprus Trail Runners, they organize a fantastic race. But I, I asked on Facebook, I think about a month beforehand, hey, how how vegan friendly is Cyprus as a, as a, in general? And the start and the finish line was at a hotel and they had a restaurant and I didn't know if they would have anything. And I was, I was completely assured that the aid stations, the food options in general in Cyprus would be completely fine. And they really were. And I don't know if it was because of my query in particular or if they were just considering it anyway but each aid, each of the three aid stations had a vegan table or at least had, yeah had their <laughs> cool. their vegan friendly products labeled on a separate wow. table to everyone else one of the volunteers remarked that everybody was running to the vegan table first and not the rest <laughs> <laughs> i think that was because things like the if you're asking what was on at the aid stations they had uh, sliced fruit so um banana slices and orange slices and Certainly for me, having never been to Cyprus before, the oranges and the fruit there was just incredible. Like, far better than anything I've had uh, here in Northern Europe, that's for sure. So I that was most of my fueling. Um, aside from banana and orange, they had uh, rice cakes with peanut butter or almond butter, maybe. They had these homemade energy bars. One of the race volunteers made a big batch of, like, energy bars. I, I'm not sure what was in them exactly, but they were certainly like granola based and they were vegan friendly and they were delicious they went down well they also had a bowl of pretzels they had a couple of other things that weren't on the vegan table just snacks like crackers little bites and then they had uh, water uh, orange juice and coca-cola and um, also the most uh, inspiring race volunteers I've ever met were from running road races an aid station is just a chance to grab some water, a uh, sports drink, maybe a gel, and you're in and out in 20 seconds. Thank you and bye-bye. That's it. you got to keep going. But with this, you can stop and chat, and they, they perk <laughs> your mood up, and they ask you how you're doing, and really uh, heroes on the day, the, the aid station volunteers. 
That is cool. I always like that about Ultras. I do like that uh, slightly more laid back, you know, feel because most people there aren't really caring about their time that much. They're mostly there to finish. Most and, definitely. Uh, it does add, it just adds, you know, like you said, you, you can hang out at the aid station for a few minutes. Obviously, you don't want to waste too much time, but uh, you don't need to, you know, get through it in 15 seconds like you might try in a, in a road race. Um, so what about what about pacing? Because I think this happens to everybody when they're taking on a new distance. I hear it all the time from marathons. Um, because you don't train anywhere, especially in your case, you didn't train anywhere near the race distance in your training. How did you deal with the the uncertainty as far as like what pace should I go out at because obviously if you, if you make a mistake there that is talk about the mistakes that could ruin your day going out too fast is certainly one of them definitely uh, going out too slow much less risky but it's hard to do that it's hard to it's hard to go out too slow most people don't make the mistake on that side so how'd you uh, how'd you handle with figuring out what pace to go out at or did you just sort of say I'm gonna make sure that I'm never working too hard you know how'd you how'd you handle that and yeah. hills too like did you walk hills Tell us about that. Yeah, it can be a challenge, and um, it was something that occupied my thoughts a little bit through training. But talking earlier about why I switched or why I've moved on to running an ultra, one of the things about my running is I just try not to get bogged down in the numbers, and that's just me in general. I'm not a mathematics guy, really, and I um, my brain just doesn't process numbers the way other people seem to. So I've never really been the one to run with a watch and to know my heart rate at any given moment or my pace. Um, in fact, in my marathon running so far, the difference in my most recent two, I had a really great race and a really bad one, and the difference in both of them was about 15 minutes, I think, uh, which seemed, crossing the finish line, it seemed like it would be far greater, but in, in the end it turned out to be this relatively close so I think I've just found my body's comfortable pace and hopefully with a bit of training that gets a little bit faster. But I tend not to get bogged down in overthinking uh, you know, my splits for a kilometer or for a mile. With um, tackling the race in terms of time and effort, I heard from a lot of from enough people to just to, to know that how I would approach it is just to walk every hill. Uh, from the first moment, it's 2K into the run, everybody's still buzzing from the start line and the, the views are great and people are running away. And it's a pretty like slight incline, but still enough to get my breathing heavier, so I just stopped and walked. And that turned, that paid off completely as the race went on. Um, it is a bit disheartening to see everybody from the start line just disappearing off onto the horizon. <laughs> and there was about probably about an hour on the first third of the race where there were a few people behind me and a few people in front of me, and we all stayed together for mostly almost the first half of the race. And you start to worry, am I going to catch anybody? Like, if they all finished, is, should I be just running this harder? But one of the things I really tried to remember is it's my race, it's my first ultra. I knew there were climbs up ahead because you can just see the mountains that you know you're going to have to summit eventually. Um, and yeah, that, that totally paid off as the race went on. I was feeling relatively fresh. I don't want to say that I've, I've, I've still running further than I ever did before. It was extremely challenging, but certainly the easy effort on, in the beginning definitely paid off. Hmm. Well, good for you. That is, uh, that is, I think wisdom that a lot of people do not have, or just, you know, just restraint that people just cannot <laughs> yeah, and, and like time. I said again, it's it's lessons learned from mistakes. So you know, even if you have a bad training day or a bad race, in some cases, it will pay off. Hopefully, if you take the take the lessons from it. So 
I've made enough mistakes in my running to um, have learned a few lessons along the way. Yeah, I can relate to that. Uh, I like what you said about seeing the seeing the peak in the distance and knowing that at some point you're gonna have to climb that thing. Uh, I, for my hundred, what I specifically remember thinking at maybe eight a.m., two hours into doing it, I remember thinking, "You're probably gonna be out here at this exact time with the sun in this position tomorrow morning. So you know, you better not do anything that feels remotely hard at this point." And I didn't. And it made like I, by the time I finished the first marathon, my dad said, "It looks like you haven't done anything yet." And I said, "That it better be that way, because otherwise, I probably will not finish." So yeah, that's that's super important. And I think if if you can find a way to remind yourself of that somehow, whether it's seeing a peak or thinking about the sun coming up tomorrow, uh, super helpful. That that kind of fear factor. Yes. And and I mean, it, it feels pretty good when uh, late in a race you're like passing a bunch of people that took off at the beginning, right? Oh, most definitely. By the, towards the end of the race, there were 60 runners overall, so there wasn't a packed course considering the distance. You didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't really see too many people in the last 10K or so, but it just felt great to be flying. Like, by the end of the course, partly because of just living in the Netherlands and probably neglecting a bit of my strength training, truth be told, but I, I've, I've taken a lot of lessons from your recent podcast about strength training, which I definitely need to apply learn those lessons on the course. Um, there were a couple of steep climbs that were really technical and rocky, and you're almost on your hands and knees. And they were the moments when I felt, well, I don't know, that this might not, you know, this when I started to really doubt myself in the race. But then I would get to the top and start to run down when the trail was smooth enough, and the running was absolutely fine. I was just coasting along. It was the cl- my, my climbing muscles, whatever, the power in my legs had totally left me. To the point where I think there's just nothing left in my legs, but then I'd, the trail would flatten out again, and I would start running as if I'm just I've just done a five or a ten k, and I think that early um, patience really helped in that. So it's a great feeling to cross the line when you're feeling strong. Yeah. So it sounds like you didn't have uh, the retire from running moment that I <laughs> that is a, a tradition for me in ultra marathon. <laughs> no, I really didn't. I. I I've never want to say it was easy because it was not easy at all, but it was probably easier than expected. Um, and it was easier than road marathons that I've run, which might sound ridiculous to people, but I remember the first time I heard a, a vlogger, I think on YouTube, saying a 50K trail race is easier than a road marathon. I thought that can't be true. <laughs> and you, you can't take it for granted. It's still a very, very far distance to run, and it can be on quite tough terrain but in a road marathon I've had high points which have been higher than anything I've felt in my life and lows which have been lower than anything I've felt in my life I've really had miserable experiences when I'm cursing myself and my decision to do it all and trying to like angrily push myself for another 5k or to cross the line and I never really had those down points in the ultra certainly the scenery helped the views were just jaw-dropping from start to finish there was no boring moment in that way and the community, the, the ultra-vibe trail runners are just, they tend to be nicer or more caring, more kind, more willing to talk to you. And um, yeah, all of that certainly helped, certainly helped to get me through the, the harder moments, of which there were plenty. But no, overall, I, I had a fantastic race. I, I, was, I didn't really have a time goal, strictly speaking, because I'd never done the distance before and I didn't know what to expect. But... I was certainly happy with the time that I got, and I finished far further up the rankings than I expected I would. That's awesome. That's great. It is. It really is. It's a 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I actually don't, I don't have a good a good sense of whether most. I think most first marathons are disasters. I just think that happens. <laughs> I don't. I think maybe by the time you get to to a fifty k, assuming you've done marathons, I think maybe people are a little bit wiser than that, and they they have had those you know just miserable marathons where you're just hiking and realizing that how how bad you messed up. So yeah, that's maybe that's true. not maybe that's not atypical. I don't know, but but I certainly know as the distances get longer, you start hearing lots of the stories about whatever mile 40 mile 70 where you just you're just not even close to the end and and you at the same time <laughs> just don't want to quit because you're so far into it so anyway m- maybe that happens more in the longer distances but speaking of that steven uh you know everyone who runs these races that i know not everyone but most say there's no way they're going to do the next distance above that and then they, and a year later they do it and then there's no way they're going to do 100 <laughs> miler though and then and then eventually they're they're doing it. so what's uh what does the future hold for you right well, now, anyway? Well, I have to book the trend on that because there is absolutely a way I'm going to do more ultras right. in the future. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. All right. I just, the, from during the race already, I, I had a feeling, and then certainly crossing the finish line and talking to other runners afterwards, I felt like I found my tribe, you know? I felt like this, tra- like even a, tra- a training run on the trail when it's just me on a Sunday morning was beautiful, and then when you bring it to race day and all the good stuff that comes along with that, it was just fantastic. Um, yeah, I ran a great race. The, the The course was stunning. The people I spoke to were fantastic. And there's no way I'm going to go back to uh, road running after this. I mean, certainly, <laughs> I, I am signed up for a, a city marathon next month. I better not uh, forget about that. But um, after that, I really... I'm going to focus on my uh, ultra running in the future. I don't know. I'm not going to make any promises of 100 milers or anything, but... Wow. I'll, I'll certainly be running further and more. Yeah, absolutely. That's exciting. I'm I'm thrilled to hear that. I really am. Yeah, I'm. It's. It feels like I've just started running again. That that fire that I was kind mm. of losing just is totally back now, and it's it's all to do with the trails. Cool. Yeah, good for you. Well, I'm glad it turned out well, Stephen. I'm glad uh, that you were willing to come on here and share it with anybody who might be in that position of wanting to go from marathon or even half marathon uh up to ultra distance oh, absolutely. and uh it's my yeah pleasure. i think i hope a lot of people took took some good advice from this and especially just hearing it from someone besides mere doug i think that's uh you know we talk a lot about the 50s and the 100 milers and things uh but i think that's of limited use when when it's been a while for either of us since we ran our first ultra marathon so uh pleasure to have you on to to share that uh knowledge and wisdom and uh look forward to you know maybe maybe hearing again about your uh your your fifty miler or your hundred miler. Oh well, we'll see. You can be uh, our you can be our on the ground correspondent. <laughs> well, likewise, guys, it's been a pleasure to talk to both of you. Um, thank you very much for your time and thank you for the invitation to come on. Are you going to listen to this episode, Stephen, or is this going to be the first one that you skip? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I can't listen to them. They're just yeah. I can't listen to any of them. I'm going to try, but I I'm, I certainly have a few friends that want to hear it. I'll send it to them. <laughs> I don't think I'll be able to make it through the full thing just of my own voice. <laughs> yep, another feeling. <laughs> Cool. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Stephen, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you, guys. Really enjoyed it. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.